everybody, welcome to The Drop. It's ESPN's Hockey Podcast, twice weekly, Tuesdays and Fridays. You can find it on the NHL and ESPN feed on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, the NHL and ESPN YouTube channel as well. I'm Greg Wyshynski, rolling solo this week because my co-host Arda Ocal is playing Han Solo in Florida with his Star Wars podcast, Never Tell Me the Odds. Ryan and Clinton down there, look at him, he's got his lightsaber out, living the dream, my boy, but don't worry, I'm not doing this alone. We've got Robert Thomas of the St. Louis Blues joining us and the great Allison Lucan of the Seattle Kraken broadcast joining us to break down a lot of NHL stuff, including a lot on the playoff races and the trade deadline. Before we get to that, some quick winners and losers uh, since we did our last podcast. Winner, obviously, Austin Matthews. 51 goals in 54 games is outright sorcery for an NHL player in this day and age. Two goals against the Arizona Coyotes. Matthews now on pace for 76 goals as we do this podcast this season. 50 goals in 54 games was the fastest to do it since 50 goals, uh, since Mary Lemieux rather reached 50 goals in 50 games in the 95-96 season. I have often said that Austin Matthews is basically the new Mario insofar as his goal-scoring prowess. I don't think we've seen a center with that kind of goal-scoring prowess since Mario, and now he's set Mario numbers. So um, as we did the podcast today, kudos to Austin Matthews for the incredible offensive numbers. Maybe he's even added more uh, since we've uh, done this podcast. Loser. Morgan Riley's defense team. Look at Gary Bettman upheld the five game suspension of Morgan Riley for his cross check to the head of Riley Grigg. That was to be expected uh, in his ruling. He cited a six game suspension to David Perron uh, for a cross check to the head. Now the Leafs and the NHLPA had to know that this was going to be used in the hearing, right? Like Gary Bettman was clearly going to cite this in defending a five game suspension to uh, Morgan Riley. And yet, and yet, and yet, they didn't really have their ducks in a row. They didn't really have their arguments prepared for this ruling. Brendan Shanahan, the president of the Leaf of the Leaf, said that there were small but significant differences between Perron and Riley, uh, but then didn't exactly say what they were. Uh, Bradger Living, uh, the GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs, said he never watched the David Perron ruling, even though he cited the David Perron play. Uh, it's kind of good to know exactly what the Department of Player Safety said about the play if you're going to bring it up during an evidentiary hearing. And then the NHLPA, you know, kind of said that uh, it shouldn't count because it's still an appeal and, and that's never going to fly with Bettman anyway. Again, you are arguing against Gary Bettman. OK, you have to have your eyes dotted, your T's crossed, everything. I was really surprised in what was going to be one of the biggest points of contention in that hearing about Morgan Riley, that there wasn't a stauncher de defense or more detailed defense uh, on the David Perron six-game suspension. Winner, Stadium Series merchandise. My God, the NHL set a Stadium Series record for the highest merchandise sales on Saturday for the Devils and Flyers and then broke their own record on Sunday for the Rangers and Islanders. And that's without there being a giant flagship store at MetLife Stadium. I was surprised. They've done a ton of these outdoor games. They usually take over whatever there's the big merchandise store at these football or baseball stadiums. In this case, it was just a bunch of kiosks kind of scattered around MetLife Stadium selling gear. Um, but they set merchandise sales records. And again, viewership high, merchandise sales high. The stadium series uh, doubleheader at MetLife was a huge blockbuster for the NHL. Uh, be surprised to maybe do it again sometime. Loser Kyle Dubas. I love Kyle. I love him. He's a wrestling fan like me. He's smart. He wears glasses. But the Penguins are so bad that he now finds himself in a real pickle. Should he trade Jake Gensel or try and extend another over 30 player 
on a long-term deal on a losing team. And, you know, some sources believe Gensel's as good as gone that I've talked to ahead of the NHL trade deadline. But can the Penguins actually trade him? I mean, he's only the most productive line mate that Sidney Crosby has ever had. And if Sid's sticking around, he'd figure he'd want Gensel sticking around too. So uh, Kyle Dubas, not a loser in life. I think he's a very talented executive and I would trust him to figure out what the next phase of the Penguins is going to be. But that test begins at the trade deadline because the Penguins aren't successful. He's going to have to figure out what to do with Jake Gensel. And that is not an easy question to answer. But now a guy that I am pretty sure is not moving at the deadline he is Robert Thomas of the St. Louis Blues joining us on The Drop. All right, joining us now on The Drop is St. Louis Blues center Robert Thomas, an all-star having an outstanding season. You join us uh, right now, and I noticed in the frame of the video in which we are speaking, you have a baby Stanley Cup, to which I ask you, does every player who wins the Cup get a baby Stanley Cup? Yeah, I'm pretty sure uh, everyone gets a little replica, mini one. Um, you know, a lot of people hang them up in the, the bars in their house and stuff, but couldn't couldn't be a better spot for right behind uh, the desk. That's sick. When you have guests over, do you have to stop them from lifting it and parading around with it? <laughs> There's been a couple of parties that have definitely been it's been kind of on throughout the whole thing. So uh, it's yeah. always it's always a fun piece to have in the house. Yeah, knuckleheads who want to drink out of the cup. I mean, that has <laughs> got to be the biggest hassle in your life. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's only like a good half set, but <laughs> it'll do, do the job. Dude, shots are a thing. So I'm sure that it's been it's been <laughs> utilized now and again. Um, there are no less than seven teams in the Western Conference wildcard mix right now. It's it's pretty intense. And I was wondering, how do you handle the emotional swings of a playoff race? Are you scoreboard watching? Are you standings watching? How do you deal with this day to day? Yeah, you know what? Um, just going off last year, we weren't kind of in the hunt at all. And it, it sucked. Uh, I mean, you didn't feel like you're a part of it. And um, so I think I'm really happy this year, just, just being in that pressure situation. Uh, I mean, y'all love pressure and that's why we play the game. We love pressure. We love to compete. And, um, so yeah, I think even though those games we had one Saturday against Nashville, those are, those are such fun and exciting games. And although we didn't win, um, those are the games you want to be in coming down the stretch. The fans feel it, I think a little differently than the players do, right? Like the fans are always like every loss it's, it's a catastrophe. It's the apocalypse. Let's trade everybody. We're two points out of a wild card now. And then every win is like, all right, here we go. We're going to the cup. Like the, do the emotional swings feel like that inside the room or is it much more even keeled? Uh, there's definitely emotional swings. I think, uh, you know, throughout the season, there's some definitely some big wins, you know, come from behind wins or, or games that, you know, you've kind of built up as, as massive games for the year. And uh, whether it's rivalries and playoffs from years past or different stuff like that. So, there's definitely some some big highs and lows in the season. And uh, I mean, you got to try and be as short mindsetted as you can uh, because you're playing every other night or if not back to back. So uh, you got to keep that in mind. But no, you definitely you definitely when you have a big win, you really celebrate it. Now, obviously, the coaching change was a huge deal this season for the Blues. Uh, for those of us who don't know him, how different is Drew Bannister from Craig Berube? Yeah, I think, you know, personality-wise, I think totally different. Um, you know, Chief's a, uh, a vocal guy. Um, you know, he, he worries more about, you know, team dynamics and vocal and, you know, screaming when when necessary. Uh, I would say Drew's kind of the opposite. He's more of a, you know, patient guy, more analytical kind of hockey-wise. Hockey uh, you know, he's big on that side of it. So uh, I would say kind of throughout one year, it's polar opposite of people and personalities, but 
um, you know, we've been playing really well for, for Drew lately. Is it, is it too much to say good cop, bad cop, like the change <laughs> between those two? Yeah, I would, I would say it's, yeah, it's too, too much. I think just different personalities, but um, you know, anytime there's a coaching change, you get a jump from guys. Um, and it, you know, it's a, it's a big kickstart. Um, you know, we saw it back in 2019. I know it's a while ago, but um, you know, there's, there's, there's a few teams that did it this year and I've had that same kind of jump. Does 2019 feel like a while ago? <laughs> For me, it still feels like yesterday. I don't know when you, when, I mean, like in, in your perspective, does the cup feel like it's, it's a century ago? Uh, I would say, yeah, it feels like, I mean, for me, it was my first year. I got pretty lucky. So I was kind of going into every year, like, you know, I'd, I'll be in the cup finals or, or win it again. Uh, <laughs> and now we're a couple of years later and uh, haven't gotten, haven't gotten close enough to, to be satisfied. So uh, yeah, it feels like forever ago for me. And um, yeah, I'm just itching to get another chance at it. Yeah. I mean, I've covered your entire career and obviously like your reputation has been, you know, strong offensive center, fantastic passer. But I was looking at your numbers the other day, man. I think the entire NHL is sleeping on your defensive prowess and as a potential Selkie Trophy candidate. Can you tell me a bit about how your defensive game has developed during your career? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I'm, I am I wouldn't say I'm an, you know, offensive guy that's getting, like one of the top in the league, you know, in that category. Um, you know, there's guys that can just make so many more plays and, and score and use their speed and different things. So you look at ways to kind of get better. Um, and for me, it was defensively. I think I put a big emphasis on it this summer and improving the the 200 foot game. And I knew I was going to be matched up against top lines all year long. And if I didn't, didn't work on that side of it, then, I, you know, we wouldn't be doing too well. So, um, you know, it was a big emphasis for me this summer. And, uh, you know, I feel like I've taken a big step defensively, but obviously there's always room to grow. Yeah, I guess not getting posterized by McDavid and McKinnon <laughs> in your own conference is probably good motivation to get better defensively, eh? Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, we had him a couple of days ago after he had six points, and uh, I was like, try and stop that. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, obviously those those two guys were were big parts of it, and uh, you know, Colorado, we've had you know two of the last three years in the playoffs, so um, you know, definitely need to get, to get a lot better in order to compete with those guys. One of the things I find fascinating about you is how many influences you seem to have drawn from in your career. Like, I know you've talked about modeling your game a bit after Jonathan Taves. Uh, you obviously played with Ryan O'Reilly. Uh, I know you're working with with Adam Oates. How much does drawing from those, like, legendary players inform the way that you play? Yeah, I think a lot. Um, I mean, you're, you're there's a lot of information out there, especially from, you know, guys that have played or are currently playing. And um, everyone's so happy to share their knowledge and information and you just kind of soak in as much as you can and try and find different pieces that work, whether it's, um, you know, stick positioning from one guy or the way, you know, you should turn to, to find guys coming into the zone and, and all that stuff. Um, so like for me, I'm just a big hockey fan. Like I've always loved hockey growing up. I watch it. I still watch, you know, at least one game every single night. And, uh, you know, just to kind of be able to talk and learn, learn about it more and more every day is, is something that I, I truly enjoy. You surprised how candid those guys are with their tricks. Like sometimes you talk to players and it's just like, I, I don't want to share the thing that I'm good <laughs> at with you. Like, are you surprised how forthcoming some of those guys are with what they do? No, not, not at all. I mean, um, you know, now I'm getting a little bit 
been in the league a little bit longer. So guys are coming to me and I'm like, I don't have the answers. So uh, it's kind of, it's kind of funny, but um, you know, that's what hockey's about. It's always about helping guys out. Um, you know, older guys help the younger guys and younger guys help each other. And um, you know, that's just the, the exciting part of hockey culture. And um, it's, it's pretty cool to be a part of. All right. One more blues question. Are you moderately surprised that Jordan Bennington has not a fight this season? It seems like it was trending there for a little bit. Are you surprised he hasn't dropped the gloves yet? Oh, uh, I mean, maybe. Uh, I mean, I remember last game, he's kind of circling the red line when we were pulling the goalie for the extra attacker. I'm, I just looked over and he's skating right across the red line. Uh, so you never know with him, but uh, he's the ultimate competitor. And uh, when things aren't going well, he's always looking for, for a spark, uh, whether it's him or, or for the team. Yeah. I've been trying to wrap my brain around him forever. Like, I mean, he, he's, he's, he's an up and down guy. He's super intense. Is he, is he the same intensity behind the scenes that we see on the ice or is he a little bit more mellow? No, uh, I think once he turns the helmet on, there's a different beast, but uh, he's a pretty <laughs> calm, calm, cool, collected guy. Uh, pretty, he's pretty smart. Like he's, he, he thinks through everything and he's got a plan. So uh, it's pretty interesting when you, when you see him throw the helmet on, it's, I mean, it's the same with a lot of people. You can, they have totally different personalities when they step on the ice with their helmet on. So yeah, it's uh, pretty cool. And you know, the Joker had a plan too. I feel like there's the same kind of chaos <laughs> yeah. energy with Jordan Bennington. As you never know what you're going to get with him. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Binner might end up with a spot on Team Canada though, with the way that the goaltending is trending and, um, you know, either at the Four Nations tournament or at the Olympics. And I was wondering for you, I know you've, you've represented Canada at least once, you know, world juniors and that kind of thing. And, and I was wondering for you, like, what would it mean for you to throw on that Jersey and be able to represent Canada, either in that four nations tournament you're doing with the NHL or at the Olympics in 2026? Yeah, it's always, it's always super cool. Uh, you know, first off, I think Benner should be on it for sure. Um, the way he's played the last couple of years, especially this year, uh, you know, he's gotten us right there in the playoff hunt and, it wouldn't be wouldn't be without him. I think he's pretty underrated. So uh, I think he should definitely be on there. But anytime you can put on, you know, your your nation's jersey and colors, it's it's pretty special. Um, you know, just as a kid, you grow up, you watch it um, nonstop. The Olympics, Crosby's goal, you know, the World Juniors every year. Uh, those are just special moments that you know are are things you want to accomplish in your career. And um, even to just be considered up there is, is pretty special. So mm -hmm. uh, definitely a big goal to, to keep on working towards. Yeah, I was there for Crosby's goal. I uh, I didn't find it special as an American. For some <laughs> I uh, found it to be very sad. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> honestly, honestly, dude, when I was in Vancouver and I saw how happy it made all the Canadians, like all around Vancouver and all across the country, I'm like, all right, even though this sucks for an American, <laughs> I had to give at least a, a tip of the hat to the fact that it is, it was an incredible moment for Canadian hockey. Yeah. I mean, Canada lives and dies with hockey. Um, yeah. You see it at the world juniors when they don't win, it's like the world's ending. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool to be a part of, especially when you can get the win and, and win the tournament. Um, but when you don't, it's, it's painful for the entire country. <laughs> All right. Two more for you. Uh, you were an Oompa Loompa for Halloween. What was that like? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not in charge of my Halloween costumes. I, I've never been the most creative guy. So uh, the old lady does that. So your partner wanted to be, what was it, Violet Beauregard? Uh, I, I think that's what it was. Well, so, some Wonka, Wonka adjacent character. So yeah, when that's established, then you have to become something Wonka related. Why weren't you Willy Wonka? Why did you choose an Oompa Loompa then? 
I got no question. I just, I showed up and I was told to put this on and that was the end of it for me. So, <laughs> uh, Hey, it's, I think it's a smart way to handle it. I think it's the yeah, it. easiest way for sure. Uh, finally, uh, I asked this of a bunch of guys at all-star weekend. I was curious about you. Um, if you could own one piece of sports memorabilia, either from the past or currently, what would it be? Or do you have something really dope that you own already that you're really proud of? Um, I would say for me, it's gloves. I think gloves are the, the coolest. Um, I don't know. It's something like you, you see a stick and you're sitting on the wall and you're like, I'm never going to touch it or use it or something. But I feel like if you have a, a cool, you know, whether it's like Crosby's goal, his gloves that he wore, like something like that, I feel like it's really cool where you can take it off, put it on your hands and just kind of feel, feel the moment a little bit. So uh, that, that, that would be my answer for sure. That's a tremendous answer. Like the, the to own the Mario five goals, five ways gloves, you know, and throw yeah, them on and be like, like these are the, these are the hands that made magic kind of deal. Yeah. Like I, I feel like if you have a stick on the wall or skates, like you're never going to put skates on or something. Yeah. So I feel like gloves are just pretty easy and something to, that you can kind of cherish. Would you wash them? No, no, not a chance. And I'd be right. fine if my hands stunk every time I took them out. I, I was going to say, maybe maybe you throw them inside a glass or something like that for the benefit of the guests in your home. But uh, yeah. that's pretty cool. That's a great answer. Well, Robert Thomas, continued success this season, man. An absolute star for the Blues. And, uh, and hopefully we get to see you in the playoffs. Awesome. Thank you. Joining us now on the drop is Allison Lucan, an Emmy winning analyst for the Seattle Kraken, and of course, a co host of the Too Many Men podcast, one of my favorite hockey podcasts out there. Uh, thanks for joining us on the show. Let's get right to the team you know best. The Kraken are hanging in the playoff race. What has to happen for them to make the playoffs for the second time in their long and storied history? Well, thanks for having me, first and foremost, Greg. I think. Uh... When you look at the Kraken, there are two really critical ingredients for them. And the first is health. And this is not a new issue for many teams, but they've dealt with a lot more injuries than they have, especially last year when they were able to find such success. So health will be ingredient number one. And number two is consistency. Um, this is a team that will run off a string of games with points and wins and then fall off and run off a string of losses. And so not getting stuck in the losing place and being able to rebound, not just game to game, but period to period is going to be crucial if they want to be in the conversation for a post 82 game season. How much do you think last year helped them? Like I, we were talking to Robert, Robert Thomas, of the blues before on the podcast about like the stress and strain of the playoff race and, now every day seems to be a new emotional swing for the four or five teams that are chasing the wild card in the West. How much do you think what, what they went through last year will help inform them on how they uh, react to the emotions of this year? Yeah, I think it's been a little different. The room is a little different. They had some players move out, some new players move in. But I think that like any team that's, you know, and this is a young team, obviously, but when you finally do get into the playoffs, that's one less thing you have to to worry about can we do it it's now how do we do it let's do it again and so I think that confidence boost is huge and I think the knowledge of what it takes and the knowledge of the league and the division now here too has been really critical that first year that COVID year was just bizarre so yeah. I think to <laughs> finally have a normal season and to be able to make it to the postseason lets them feel comfortable that if they can get that consistency that they can find a path back all right. So they're they're one of the teams that gets mentioned around the trade deadline as 
do many teams? Are they going to add? Are they going to subtract? But I guess in a general sense, as we get close to the deadline at the beginning of March, what's your sense of it? Like, do you think it's going to be busy or is it going to be another year where it's like all hype and then, you know, a fourth line winger gets traded and we all celebrate because something finally happened on TSN? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting, right? You know, I think um, I, I'm actually a, becoming a big fan of the early trades, like trades around that all-star break for a couple of yeah. reasons. I just love the dialogue. I love that the trades happened during a downtime when the player has a little bit of time to acclimate to a new city, to a new team. If they have family, you know, pets, what have you systems, they can get all acclimated. And you, it's just it's like pulling the goaltender. The earlier you do it, the more of a chance you have to win. So <laughs> make the trades earlier, I say, but you know, the big ticket players are now off. A lot of the big ticket players are off the board. Mm -hmm. Everyone's watching Calgary. I think everyone's going to keep watching Calgary and maybe Nashville, but I, I don't think it's going to be that busy. I think it's going to be a lot of little, like you said, little pieces moving back and forth, augmenting, but I don't think we're going to have <clears throat> oh crap moments this year. <laughs> I wish people would pay attention to who makes early trades. Like Jim Rutherford's been notorious for getting on the ball pretty early as far as trying to get his guys and not playing the deadline game. He's always been like that. Like take, take a tip from a guy who's built Stanley Cup winners in two separate cities. Like, why aren't you doing what the smart people do? Uh, you know, giving what the Calgary wanted for Elias Lindholm and then not, not having 10 or 12 suitors all trying to mess with your offer at the deadline was such a simple thing. And like you said, it gets them in there early. It gets them acclimated. That's why it's funny that, like, there's so much discussion about these goalies. It's the hardest position in hockey to get acclimated totally. to, you know, the idea that these guys totally. are going to be like, let's add Jake Allen on March 8th and then everything will be fine. What the hell are you talking about? Like, it's going to take him at least a month to get spun up. And then a month later, you're in the playoffs. I mean, it's wild to me that teams would wait that long to try to bring in such an important player into a system that he's got to learn on the fly. It, it totally. I mean, look at what happened to Sergei Bobrovsky when he went to Florida and that was an off season signing yeah. and it took him a whole season plus because the defense in front of him was playing completely differently than the system that he'd played behind the vast majority of his career. And he just kept getting burned by those cross seam passes. So I'm with you like goaltending. You, if you're going to add one, it's got to be from within your system. Bringing them in at the deadline is not a recipe for success. In my opinion, heed the warning devils. Allison, you've got the biggest uh, brain that I know in hockey. You uh, have uh, parlayed a career of being really smart online into a career of being very smart on television. So I ask you, give me one player that, according to your data, you're very high on at the trade deadline, someone who might get moved. So a player that I think would be interesting, and I mentioned um, this team as someone who might move out of the playoff hunt earlier on a, on a different show, is uh, Nashville. What are they mm. going to do, right? And if if someone wants to go after maybe a nice supporting defenseman, why not go after Alexander uh, Carrier, right? Mm -hmm. He's down there. He is really, really, really good at entries and getting a scoring chance at after them he's really good at getting a retrieval and then exiting the puck with control and he's also really good at defending against entries he's been playing top four minutes so i think this is you know a nice 27 year old player on an expiring contract that could give you some strength and you know you can never have too many defenders in a in a playoff push you cannot i'm going to say somebody you can tell me if i'm right or wrong because you know this player pretty well but to me, Alexander Wenberg is somebody I really like, especially on a contending team. Like there's been kind of some smoke around the Rangers or the the uh, the Avalanche. Like that's a perfect spot for him. I don't think you want to expect him to be your top line guy, your number two guy, but fit him into 
uh, you know, your third spot in the in the pecking order as far as center. I think his underlying offensive number has been very good this year. Expiring contract of four point five million. It's a little rich, maybe for the deadline. Everybody's capped out, but maybe, maybe you can figure out a little bit of wiggle room on the finances. But there you go, Alexander Wimberg. You know, an object of obsessive hockey romance novelist, but also a pretty productive player down your lineup, in my opinion. Am I right or wrong on Winnie? You're you're a hundred percent correct, and this is a player who's sneaky because he's not a big point producer in the traditional sense that people are going to look at first. But you know, players I talk to, coaches I've talked to around the league call him one of the smartest players that they know. Mm. He's a top tier passer. He can be used in all situations. He plays penalty kill. He's a power killer too, which is really valuable in today's ah, league. You he, love he a power kill. Oh I my god, Allison is Allison is the greatest. Tell tell the people what a power kill is. So a power kill is saying, don't just stay there and play defense when you're down a skater. Look for triggers and opportunities to aggressively attack a power play to gain possession of the puck and at the very least run seconds off the clock because the puck is on your stick and not your opponent. And at the very best, drive down and get scoring chances and maybe a shorty for the dagger. <laughs> there you go, the power kill. And Wimberg, like you said, pretty good at it. Uh, player I'd, I'd avoid, I'll, I'll go first. Dominic Kubelik of the Senators, I know people see him as an instant offense guy. He's probably a guy that a lot of people see as could, could be a change of scenery guy. He's been atrocious this season, like not just like bad on a bad team atrocious, but like atrocious himself, uh, especially he's never been really good defensively. His offensive numbers have cratered too this season for the Senators. He's too streaky, even at 2.5 million with an expiring contract. I'm not touching it. Dominic Kubelik, I mean, somebody will trade a fifth for him. Good luck on that. Yeah, for me, I'm going for uh, Jack Roslovic out of Columbus. I don't oh, know if there'll be as much of an appetite, appetite, but you know, this is at four million dollars. You're getting really a bottom six forward. He can score in bursts, but he's not doing it. Every once in a while, he gets a snip at some top six minutes, and he just can't do it. He hasn't really settled into establishing a position or establishing an identity. And even if you're looking for depth, I'd steer clear of that player. Yeah, I mean, the Blue Jackets are a team that has been in constant search for a center for like two years now and to not have established himself in their like top two lines probably speaks volumes right. about his effectiveness uh, overall. Good pick on that one. All right, top 10 centers. So we did our positional rankings on ESPN over the last two weeks. They've been really informative and interesting, I think, uh, especially on who didn't make the cut. Uh, the top 10 centers for me is always the best picture. It's always album of the year. It's always the big one at the end that people get excited for because it has the biggest names. Uh, real quick, uh, it, it dropped on Thursday. You can see the full list on ESPN.com. Number one, Connor McDavid, no surprise. He's been number one every time we've done this exercise. By the way, 10 players, 10 executives surveyed to build this list. Number two, Nathan McKinnon, three, Austin Matthews, four, Sidney Crosby, five, Leon Dreisaitl, six, Alexander Barkov, seven, Jack Hughes, who moves up a, pot, a spot, eight, Braden Point, who I think moved down a spot, nine, Jack Eichel, who wasn't on the list last year, but a Stanley Cup does wonders for one's reputation, and 10, Elias Pettersson, who also was not on the list and then uh, moved up one. So uh, your thoughts on on this ranking uh, from, from one to 10, obviously you don't believe McDavid should be one, correct? <laughs> I mean, clearly, I mean, I'm, I'm the voice of the people here, Greg. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I read the article. It's great. I highly recommend people read it if they haven't already. The one little argument I have, and it was, I think a GM said this in, in the article as well, is 
I do think we're underestimating what Barkov does when he's on the ice. If you look at his underlying numbers, this is the player of all of those top 10 centers. I'm looking at it now. He has the best ability to tilt the ice in terms of shot quality. He has the best ability to tilt the ice after McDavid in terms of shot attempt volume. So I really think if you look at a center, not just for their individual production, which obviously leads us to an Austin Matthews and obviously to a Connor McDavid, if you look at a player who can produce individually, but also is really just fully moving their team into successful positions, I think we're selling way too low on Barkov. All right, let's get right to it. Is Austin Matthews underrated? He dropped the spot from two to three. McKinnon hopped over him. You kind of market corrected him after last year. As we talked about at the top of the show, Matthews is on pace for 76 goals. <laughs> so, I mean, there was a time when he was also being chatted up as a potential Selkie guy as well. Are, are, do we not, are we not appreciating Matthews? Should Matthews be more in the is he as good as Connor McDavid debate than is he one spot lower than Nathan McKinnon debate? I, I think so. But, you know, Leafs fans can't be happy about anything. So this is what we have to put up with here is, you know, we have to be upset about everything except the guy who's like literally setting historical records here. But I agree. I think that if you look at what he's doing and particularly when you add the narrative as an American born player and I do think he gets undersold, his offensive production is so strong. We don't give him enough credit for his play in other areas of the ice. So I would like to see, I can't believe I'm saying this, Shane is going to laugh at me, but I don't think we're paying enough attention to Austin Matthews. There you go. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, again, I understand our plight on this one, which is that we are trying to say that a member of the Toronto Maple Leafs does not get enough media attention or, right. or, or <laughs> exactly. attention from fans. And I realize that's a losing battle, especially when the guy we're talking about is, is you know, one guy in Edmonton and one guy in Colorado. But I don't know if you if you ask me to pick today, like Nathan McKinnon or, or Austin Matthews. I love McKinnon. I, I I wrote an article a couple years ago making the case that he might be the best complete player in the world. But Matthews's goal scoring is now on a different level than when I wrote that article. And I also have become more appreciative of the totality of his game. I I kind of believe he got jobbed here. I think he should be number two behind McDavid, and 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 maybe in a conversation of being a little bit closer to Connor than, than he's gotten credit for. Now, the other one I wanted to ask you about on the other side of the coin, which is, is Sidney Crosby overrated at this point? There, He oh. he has now been number four on this list in consecutive seasons, but Dreisaitl can't get ahead of him. I did have some people on the list who who voted for it say, you know, the time where Sidney Crosby could grab the Penguins by the scruff of their neck and drag them into the playoffs are over. I think the evidence probably speaks to that. Is Are we overrating Sidney? Is, is he is still the fifth, the fourth best center in this league? Yeah, so this is tricky, right? Because, I mean, Sydney definitely deserves his flowers and he is still producing at a top tier rate. But I do think that if we look at the totality of what's happening there right now, and if we look at what we've just said these other players can do for their teams as a whole, I think that Sydney is getting a bit of a push from his historical performance. Mm -hmm. And he's going to be one of the all-time centers. But yes, I think we are overvaluing him in the present moment. And we're just remembering all that Sidney Crosby has been and can be. Ultimately, I think I agree with you that I I think less about Dreisaitl at five as being oh, Sid being overrated and more Barkoff at, at six. I had a GM ask yep. me in the article, like, would you trade Sidney Crosby for Alexander Barkoff straight up if you were like the Florida Panthers? And the answer is kind of no. Like Barkoff is a yep, better player exactly, at this point. Exactly. In point production and of course, defensively, he's younger. And, uh, and I think from that aspect, if you want to say, Barkoff versus Sid, absolutely Barkoff for me is the better player at this point. Dreisaitl versus Sid, 
there might still be an argument there based on the totality of Sid's yeah. game. But when it, if you're going to make the argument Sid's better defensively than, than Dreisaitl, you certainly can't make the argument that Sid is better defensively than Barkov, especially this season where Sid's defensive numbers have cratered a bit. Um, Allison, where can people find you in the world? Yes. Well, you can find me on uh, the Kraken pre and post and intermission game shows. Um, that you can stream if you have ESPN to watch games all over the world. And I'm also on Twitter. I'm still going to call it Twitter. <laughs> at Allison L. I'm on Instagram at Allison.Lucan. And you can follow our podcast at two underscore much underscore man. And really, I don't want to put you over too much, but like the stuff that you do in breaking down the game on Kraken's broadcast is so smart and so good. And I wish that other broadcasts took a, a clue from it because it's, it's some of the best stuff you could find. So late night. Well, thank you. Brew some coffee, watch some Kraken hockey, catch Allison. Thank you so much for joining the drought. Thanks so much, Greg. Appreciate it. Take care. My thanks to Robert Thomas and Allison Lucan for joining the drop this week. And don't forget, we've got a new episode of the show every Tuesday and Friday for y'all. Search NHL on ESPN on all podcast platforms and on YouTube. Thanks, everyone, for watching. Arta back next week as we close in on the NHL trade deadline. Take care, everybody.